Thank you for joining us today. For more information about the church, campus locations, service times, and more, visit ecoegt.com. Also, stay in touch with us on social media by liking us on Facebook and following us on Instagram, at ecoegt. Now let's repair our hearts as we go into the message. Uh, man, it is uh, good when you go to church on a Wednesday and uh, the, the rain from today cleared before we had to come to church. Can somebody say amen? Man, we had a gully washer today. Really, every day we've been getting these huge gully washer. If you don't know what a gully washer is, you, you haven't lived in the South very long. A gully washer is just when it just all breaks open. And, uh, but uh, Pastor is, was in Jamaica Monday till uh, today, and for the last four and a half hours has been stuck on a mat, tar mat in Miami, trying to fly here for service tonight, but because of the gully washer, because uh, the, of, of all of that, his flights were delayed. Uh, he's on another flight. I'm not sure if he's in the air yet or not, but he wanted me to let you know he had a sermon ready for tonight. He was ready to preach it. And unfortunately, uh, he's held up in Miami. I know he would much rather be here than there, uh, sitting on a crowded, probably now smelly plane um, for four hours. But uh, it's, so, so I'm up tonight to preach. So it's going to be fun. Um, so for, we're in June family month, and Pastor Gary and Miss Chrissy have been starting with jokes when they preach, and they've been stealing my... They, 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 they've been stealing my thing because I tell little jokes before we start. So I got a couple for us. Um, there's a husband. He says to his wife, honey, I invited a friend home for supper. What? Are you crazy? The house is a mess. I didn't go shopping. All the dishes are dirty. And I don't feel like cooking a fancy meal. Any, any ladies in the, in the house hate when their husbands do that. He says, I know all that. And she goes, then why did you invite a friend for supper? Because the poor fool's thinking about getting married. <laughs> That's bad. <laughs> That's a June family month one there. Here's another one. It's called the proposal. <laughs> this, uh, this is, this is kind of, it's funny. Uh, a college senior took his new girlfriend to a football game. The young couple found seats in the, in the crowded stadium and they were watching the action. A substitute was put into the game, and as he was running onto the field to take his position, the boy said to his girlfriend, take a good look at that fella. I expect him to be our best man next year. His girlfriend snuggled closer to him and said, that's the strangest way I've ever heard of a fella to propose to a girl. Regardless of how you said it, I accept. <laughs> you know that guy got himself in a, in a pickle. I don't know how he got out of that one, but, um, you know, it's, it's funny. It's funny. Hey, turn with your, with me in your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 17, Jeremiah chapter 17. We're going to read verse nine. This is going to be, we're going to actually bounce around in some scripture a lot tonight. Verse nine says this, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? Man, that is some encouraging, that's an encouraging message, right? The human heart 
is bad and deceitful. And I want to start on this idea tonight about the human heart being the most deceitful of all things. Because if you're not careful, your heart will lead you the wrong way. Why will your heart lead you the wrong way? Because the heart is at its core deceitful. Your heart is tied to your flesh and at its core is, is fallen. And just because you want to do something or want something doesn't mean you should do that thing or you should have that thing. Amen? Come on, we, we learn this through time. We learn this through our lives. And, and we have to constantly be taking temperature for where our hearts are and where our love for Jesus is. See, if your heart is unattended, it gets weedy. You're going, weedy? What What? what do you mean it gets weedy? I, I want to title my, my thoughts tonight, Garden Your Heart. Garden Your Heart. You see, your heart, in essence, is is like a garden. Are there any gardeners in the room? You know, you enjoy garden. We, 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 we got some. My wife and I had just uh, talked about this like three weeks ago. We're walking through Lowe's and the garden section, and we're going, you know what? We should get a garden. Like, we should start a garden. And we're looking, and we're like looking at flowers, and the next day we're looking at tomatoes, and we're looking at at cucumbers and all this random stuff because in our minds we're gonna we're gonna start a garden but but how many of you know gardening is not easy work it is hard work one of the my my first memories as a kid is living in northwest florida my grandparents having um, a bunch of acreage and and they were growing potatoes and potatoes if you don't know they grow underground and so when you go to harvest them, you got to get down in the dirt and you got to get them off and they are dirty and nasty. Whoever the first fellow was that said, you know what, we should eat these things. Um, kudos to him. Kudos to them. But gardening is hard. And if you don't tend to your garden over time, it can get weedy. What do weeds do? Weeds suck the life out of the garden. If you're not careful, weeds will destroy your garden. Even sometimes there are weeds that look like flowers and look good, but they will actually suck the life out of the garden. There are still things in our lives that may look good, but if they are not weeded out and taken out of our hearts and taken out of our lives, if we're not careful, our heart will be weedy. And maybe we're going, man, what is a weedy heart? A weedy heart is a heart that's full of anger. Maybe you find yourself getting more frustrated now than you used to. Maybe when you look at certain people, there's a little bit of judgment that rises or unforgiveness to to, to love someone beyond the hurt that they did to you. It's if we don't tend to our heart regularly, if we don't tend to what is going on inside of us and weed it out and garden it a little bit, if you will. Our heart will become overrun with, with weeds. See, you and I, each of us, are the dwelling place of a dwelling God. We understand this through 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. It says, don't you know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit 
lives in you. That God desires to abide. God desires to dwell in each of us. Therefore, we are all a dwelling place of a God that wishes to dwell with his, with his people. We see this in, 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 in all throughout scripture where God was looking to dwell with, with people. And may our lives be lived out in a way that the Spirit of God would actually enjoy dwelling in them. You ever thought of that sometimes? Like, like God is the garden of my heart. Is it a beautiful place for you to walk through? There's nothing more precious. There's nothing more great than walking through a beautiful garden. A garden that has been well tamed. A, a garden that, that has fresh life. And, and, and I wonder if we treated our hearts the same way that we would treat an external garden. What all God could do in us and through us. I wonder if we took making a dwelling place for God. For him to be enjoyed in our hearts what he could do. See being a believer isn't simply about knowing God but allowing God to know the depths of our hearts. Yeah. It's about having a relationship. It's about God comes to dwell with us so that we can have communion back and forth with him. And it's important for each of us to recognize if we're in love with Jesus or we're simply in love with the things that come along with him. Why? Because we are the dwelling place of a dwelling God. And if our heart is left unattended, what will happen is our faith will become stale. We won't be about our love for Christ above all else. Instead, it will fall into our own achievements or potentially more about tradition than Jesus. If our heart is left unattended, what happens is we get weedy. We get weedy. And so looking internally and saying, God, what is it that you need to pluck out of my life? God, what is it that you want me to pull out of the soil of my life? See, when things get weedy, they cannot produce fruit. They cannot produce life. They can't produce to the fullness of their abilities. So when our hearts become weedy, what happens is our lives cannot, will not be as fruitful as they are when we maintain the garden of our hearts. Now, turn me to Genesis chapter two. We're going to look at a couple uh, different. We're going to look at four four scriptures here. Really, are three scriptures. Uh, it says the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. The New American Standard uh, translation says, "And the Lord God took the man, put him into the garden of Eden to cultivate it, and." To keep it. So we understand that the responsibility of Adam and Eve was, was to cultivate the garden. That this was a place that they had dominion over and they were to cultivate the garden. The garden was also a place that God during the evenings would walk with them and talk with them on a routine, on a routine basis. So as Adam and Eve would cultivate the garden and keep the garden, it would be a place that God and them would commune. That this was the original garden. This was the original place of, 
of communion. Now, in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 14, it says this, Through the power of the Holy Spirit who lives within us, carefully guard, notice that, carefully guard the precious truth that has been entrusted to you. Proverbs 4.23 says, Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. So now, God has made his dwelling with man in the hearts of man. And he said, guard your heart above all else. More than you guard anything, guard your heart. I want to put a twist on words in that, in the sense that we can't just guard our hearts, we have to garden our hearts. Why? Because it above all else determines the course of our lives. We see in Genesis chapter 2 that God always wanted to commune with his people. In Genesis, the Lord communed in the garden with Adam and Eve, and now he wants to commune in the garden of our hearts with us. And like God gave the command to Adam and Eve to take care of and to cultivate the garden. We have to take care of and cultivate our hearts. It is our responsibility to say, God, is this an environment that you want to walk and dwell in? So I'm going to ask a rhetorical question. Inwardly looking. And how is your heart? How is your heart? Are there weeds that have to be pulled? Are there things that, that, are, 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 that we have left untamed? Is there an environment for God to walk freely in? Because the proverb says, guard your heart above all else. For it determines the course of your life. You know, sometimes we go, what does our future look like? The question really is, man, what does my heart look like right now? Because how my heart looks like right now is going to determine the rest of my life. Good. The rest of my life. First Samuel chapter 16, verse 7 says, But the Lord said to Samuel, Don't judge by his outward appearance or height, for I have rejected him. I love this part. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. Can anybody say amen to that? And thankful God doesn't see things the way you and I see them. It says people judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. People may look at you and look at me and judge one thing. But it doesn't matter what people judge. It matters what God sees. And God sees the heart. So it is important for us to not only guard our hearts, but to garden our hearts. Because God is not looking at what you are wearing or what your outward appearance is. God is looking at how your heart is guarded. God is looking at the inward depths of who you and I are. Acts 13, 22 says, but God removed Saul and replaced him with David. A man with whom God said, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. Come on, we know David was not a perfect man. By any stretch of the word, David was far from 
perfect, but there was one defining thing about David, that he was a man after God's own heart, and that he would do everything God wanted him to do. There's a quote by a man named Bradley Hathaway that I love. He says, like David, I want to be a man after God's own heart. I'm not there yet, but I'm far past the start. And I want to be a man after God's own heart. I'm not there yet, but I'm closer than I was last year. I'm not there yet, but I'm closer than I was a week ago. It's about having a pursuit of saying, God, there are things in my life. There are things in my heart that I don't like that they're there. Give me the courage. Give me the boldness to pull those things out. Next scripture, 2 Chronicles 16, 9, says, The eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. God is actually looking. It says that he is searching. What is he searching for? He's searching for those whose hearts are fully committed to him. That don't have one foot in and one foot out. I, I go to church on Sundays and Wednesdays, but on Mondays and Thursdays, I'm living in the world. No, he's looking for people that have their whole hearts committed to him. Why? Because he wants to strengthen those people. I've come to encourage you tonight that if your heart is fully committed to God, fully committed to him and you feel weary and you feel down and you feel out God wants to strengthen you tonight not only does he want to strengthen you but he is searching to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him can somebody give God praise in the room tonight if you're thankful that God is searching after you you ever want to get the attention of God You ever want to get his eyes on you? Just live a life where his whole heart is committed to him. Why? Because he's searching. He's looking to strengthen those whose hearts are committed to him. Now, let's go back to Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, where where, where the the proverbist, (laughs) where Solomon, he says, Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. See, your heart will impact every other part of your life. It'll impact everything. We we understand this when it comes to just basic health. You could be fit. You could be, you know, muscles coming out of your neck and, and, you know, running. I don't know. Well, you know, you could be fit. But if you don't have a good heart, it doesn't matter how good your body is in shape because your heart affects everything, everything else. And like I said before, man, you want to know where your life is going to end up in five years or 10 years. Scripture tells us you will end up where the state of your heart currently is. Why have I been stuck for the last five years in the same cycle? Not reaping fruit from seeds that I've sown. Well, it might be because there are weeds inside the garden of your heart that have yet to be plucked, yet to be looked at, yet to be dealt with. And this is a hard thing. 
This is a hard thing. But our heart determines the course of our lives. See, your happiness depends on the the stage of your heart. Your decisions are made by the, the learning of your heart. Your destiny is shaped by the condition of your heart. We see in scripture, God will use you according to the condition of your heart. And God also judges us based on the condition of our hearts. Our hearts affect everything. Our heart is so important. And it's important for us to go, God, if there is any weeds in the garden, may I be a good gardener. May you reveal those to me and may I help pull them out. I want to look at three things tonight that we must do to maintain a healthy garden in our hearts. The first thing is this, if you're taking notes, our hearts must be scrutinized. Say that with me. Our hearts must be scrutinized. Come on, say it again. Our hearts must be scrutinized. Why does a heart have to be scrutinized? Because your heart is deceitful. Because your heart is not going to lead you down the right path. Because your initial intentions, your flesh is deceitful. Our hearts must be scrutinized. If we're going to scrutinize our hearts, it means we have to search our heart. We got to say, we got to look inward. We have to say, man, I don't like this about me. Or I got to search my own heart. Galatians 4.15, Paul speaking to the To to the Galatian church, he says, where is that joyful, grateful spirit you felt then? And he's referring to when they first accepted Jesus. He goes, hey, you were grateful and you were joyful when you first encountered God. Now I don't see it. And he's going, where was that joyful and grateful spirit? Where has it gone? We have a saying that we say a lot around here, and it's the saying that we never get over getting saved. Why do we never get over getting saved? Because we want to always have the same joy and the same thankfulness that we had on day one. Because like we needed Jesus and his salvation then, we need Jesus and his salvation Today, the grace of God that saved us is the same grace that sustains us. The same grace that saved us is the only grace that can sustain our lives. And the church at Galatia had gotten away from their first love. They had had fallen and allowed weeds to enter their heart, but... Paul's saying, hey, don't forget that joyful, grateful spirit. Hey, don't forget the joy that you had. May we find the joy and gratefulness that we had when we first met the love of Christ. May we return there and say, God, search me. Or first, we have to search ourselves. You say, I'm going to search myself. The second thing that we are going to do if our hearts must be scrutinized is allow God to search our hearts. The psalmist says in Psalms 139, verses 23 and 24, he says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out 
anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. One translation says, lead me on the path of righteousness. You want to know what the path of righteousness is? It's the right path. And, and we won't be led on the right path in our lives unless we ask God to first search us and to know us, to test us to point out anything in us that would be a hindrance to him dwelling in our hearts. May we ask God to point out anything in our hearts that is unpleasing to him. Anything that would hinder a constant flow of his presence. You know, sometimes it's easy to search our own hearts but it's hard when we allow other people or an outsider to search our hearts. And we have to allow God, an outsider, if you will, to search us. We have to be willing to allow God to offend us so that we can remove what offends him. We got to say, God, remove my offense. So that you won't be offended. But sometimes if we're not honest, if we're just completely honest with ourselves, we can say, well, I don't want to be offended by God. And we put our fence over God's offense. Because there are things in our hearts that offend God. There are things in our lives that offend him. So we got to say, God, may my offense not be more valuable to me than the offense you have with what's in my heart. God, search me, know me. If there's anything in me that offends you, reveal it. How do we do that? We get in his word. We read the word. I've said this numerous times. If you don't read the word of God and there's things in it that don't offend you or come at you or hit you a wrong way, you're probably reading it wrong. Why? Because it tells me to turn the other cheek. It tells me that I need to forgive people. It tells me that my anger is not good. It tells me that, that, that there are things in my life that are currently wrong that I have to garden out. I got to pull those weeds out of my life. Yeah. It's how we learn to lean into what God is wanting to do in our hearts. Psalms 19.12, the psalmist again says, How can I know all the sins lurking in my heart? Cleanse me from the hidden faults. That's really asking God to search us. God, don't just forgive me of what I know I did wrong. Forgive me of the things I don't even know I do wrong. That's another step. God, God, reveal the things that I am unaware of. God, reveal the habits I've been stuck in for 5, 10, 15 years. And no, I might be stuck in a cycle. It isn't right. God, reveal that. And, and even forgive me of these things that I don't even know what they are. And the Galatians had hidden faults. They had these hidden faults in their heart that Paul was trying to challenge them in. There was something that they didn't see. They didn't see that their joy had dimmed. They didn't see that their gratefulness had dimmed. And Paul comes to them and says, hey, there are things that you are unaware of. Awaken the joy again. Awaken the gratefulness again. Allow God to do something new. And each of us have hidden faults that the Lord wants to reveal to us. 
But we have to be willing to lean into his correction. Willing for the Lord to reveal the weeds in our garden. The psalmist says in Psalms 139, he says, Search me, know my heart, and test me. He says, test me. Testing comes from God to expose what's in your heart. Testing is going to come from God to expose what is in your heart. My, my, my mom always said growing up that whatever you, whatever, whenever you squeeze something, whatever is in it is going to come out. You've heard me talk about this, like squeezing toothpaste. If I pick up a toothpaste uh, container and I squeeze it, what's going to come out? Toothpaste. All right. If I, if, if I were to pick up this water and I squeezed it, what would come out? Water. What would happen if I picked up this water and I squeezed it and sweet tea came out? We'd be shouting. Hallelujah. Come on. We'd be shout. Do it again. <laughs> so somebody said, do it again. So how God tests us to reveal what is in us, to reveal if we are truly revealing the fruit of the Spirit and living in the Spirit, is he'll take a Christian and squeeze a Christian a little bit to see if a Christian comes out. He'll take us a little bit, test us to reveal what is truly in our hearts. To reveal what is truly inside of us. And when we are tested and we are, when we are squeezed a little bit, it reveals the weeds that might be in our garden. And we can choose to overlook those things. Or we can choose to say, God, I, I did not like what came out. Thank you for testing me. Now help me to remove the weeds from my garden. Number two. Our hearts must be sanctified. Say that with me. Our hearts must be sanctified. Come on, say it again. Our hearts must be. Ezekiel 36, 26, God says, I will give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart. And all the women said amen about their husbands and give you a tender, responsive heart. To give us a tender and a responsive heart. There is a word that, that in our modern day American Christianity that has a long time been since removed from our walk. And it's this old time word called sanctification. Sanctification. See, we are all saved, but you also have a choice to enter into the process of sanctification. The process of sanctification is the process from when you've been saved till you die, and you're becoming more and more and more and more like God. And unless you are like Enoch, where you just walk so closely to God that you disappear, you have more in the sanctification process to go in your life. And it is important for us to allow God to take out the old stony stubborn heart and to give us a tender responsive heart because sanctification is the process of becoming more and more like Jesus he says a tender responsive heart tender responsive heart God is looking for immediate repentance for what's in our heart 
He's looking for a responsive heart. So let, if you could put that, that last scripture back up on Ezekiel 36, 26. I want to give us a little play on words here. A stony, stubborn heart. When there is something brought to that attention of a stubborn heart, you can't get through to somebody that's stubborn. Don't anybody look around. <laughs> that was funny. A stubborn heart ain't going to change. It's like, it's like, it's like knocking on, on something that's dead. There's no lie. It's not going to change. A tender, responsive heart. If you say something to me, I'm going to respond back. But not just respond back, it's tender. It's going to be a tender response. Tender response back. Recognize what God wants to do in your life. Repent from what he's bringing to the surface and remove the weed from the garden. Testing sanctifies our hearts. See, for something to be molded, it must first be squeezed. And if you're going to be molded into the image of God like clay, you're going to be clay in the potter's hand to be molded into who he's creating you to be. God's going to have to get his hands on you a little bit and squeeze you a little bit so you can be molded and testing sanctifies us. It's through the squeezing that we are being molded in the sanctification process into who God wants us to be. Can somebody just thank God for a moment for the molding, for the process of sanctification, for the things that he's doing in you, for how he's changing you and developing you. Thank you, Lord. The third thing, if we're going to have healthy hearts, and guarding them is our hearts must be sustained. Our hearts must be sustained. Start asking the band to make their way up. What I mean by your heart must be sustained is this. Your heart is never disease free. You're only one comment away from a diseased heart. Why? Because our hearts are deceitful. And if we aren't careful, we can get a beautiful garden and go, just sit back and go, man, that garden looks beautiful. And we can take our place out of position as being the cultivators and the caretakers of the garden. Like we were called to be in Genesis. And we can just sit back and look at the beauty of the garden. But how many of you know that if you do not continually take care of the garden and pull out the weeds before long, new weeds will grow up and it will take the life right out of the garden. See, our heart has to be sustained. Because if we don't sustain it, we're not disease-free. I say, God, Search me. God, may I, may I not remove myself from the place of the gardener. I think it's really cool that when Mary was coming to see Jesus at the resurrection, she thought that he was just a gardener. She didn't recognize him. He was just a gardener. 
Adam and Eve were in the garden called to cultivate the garden. And each of us are meant to become more like Jesus who was mistaken as the gardener. We are meant to take our places as gardeners of our heart. See, to sustain your heart for the Lord, you got to get good at gardening. I want to encourage you, don't stop with the weeds you pulled out yesterday. Continue, continue to garden your heart today. Garden your heart tomorrow. Because what God wants to do is God wants to build a life of consistency in you. God wants to build a life of continual growth. God wants you to walk in sanctification. God wants you to guard your heart, to garden, garden your heart. I mean, I want to be someone that when I'm 70, I have the same passion for God I have today. I want to be someone, maybe it's, I want, to, I want a greater passion. Can we all stand together? As you're standing, I wanted to tell a story. And I've, I've shared of this moment in my life uh, maybe one or two times before. But there was a moment that marked me about six years ago. And, and some of you know I lived uh, before I came and was on staff full time here. I, was, I lived in Nashville. And I attended a church there called Grace Center. And this place just had a radical imprint on my life and on my heart. And we were about to enter in worship one Sunday and there was just a normal Sunday. And there was always this, this elderly man. Uh, he kind of had, had a cane. Um, he didn't, he wasn't the, he didn't stand up the straightest and um, but every Sunday, he always ran down front. And this one Sunday, I was sitting right behind them and his, his precious wife. And uh, there's this one Sunday, he, you know, the, the, the countdown comes on. He hops up and he just runs down. And it was sort of normal, but it always, I was just always like, man, that's so cool. But this one day, she looks back at me and she just, she saw that I saw him and she just goes, he just loves Jesus. I wish I could tell you I held it together for the rest of that service. Because here's a man that kept the garden of his heart beautiful. And as a young person, it has left one of the greatest impacts on my life. He'll never know. He never knows. I don't know his name. He doesn't know anything about me. But it's when we garden our hearts that God will use us beyond capacities that we're even aware of. I just want to take 30 seconds just as the keys are playing real softly like this. Just close our eyes.